Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Watt Carbon Podcast. Uh, this is McGee Young along with Kelly Littleton. How are you doing today, Kelly? Doing well. Um, yeah, a little a little gray trying to search for the sun. I, I hear it's way, way sunnier over in your parts, but how are you, McGee? Uh, doing fantastic. I would... Um, I wouldn't trade trade the Bay Area today for for anything. Beautiful, beautiful blue skies. Um, you know, it's about sixty degrees here today. Uh, we're excited today uh, because we've got uh, a Watt Carbon co-founder and head of engineering, Keith Weiss, uh, ready to be interviewed. Uh, we've got them all prepped uh, to talk about all of the exciting things that he does um, to keep the engineering team going uh, and find out a little bit more about Keith as a person. As a little bit of a sneak preview, Keith and I met each other the first night of college, uh, back when we had um, way less gray hair, fewer wrinkles, and um, ideals ideals about the world that could hardly be matched. Uh, so um, we'll, we'll we'll try not to go too deep into the memory hole uh, today, um, but we'll talk about you know a lot of the work that has to get done to to do all the complicated carbon accounting and um, marketplace transactions that we're doing at Watt Carbon. Uh, Kelly, are you um, are you tracking anything interesting in the news this week? What's, you know, before we get to Keith, you know, what 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 should everybody be paying attention to? Yeah, and this is this is less of a newsy thing, um, just something I've gone down a little bit of a rabbit hole recently with um, I've been digging into the costs of electrifying everything at such pace such scale um, in terms of land use, in terms of habitat protection, in terms of what this infrastructure is actually going to mean um, in like a very tangible way for the earth, which is kind of a big and heady topic, um, includes mining and all these other, all these other questions. But um, what I think my big takeaway is, yes, we can do this. We just have to be really intentional about it. And um, it's going to take a lot of planning. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to slow down every once in a while. There's so much enthusiasm enthusiasm around all of this, and needed there should be. But um, to really kind of think about these other uh, sides of of the problem. So yeah, I, I think about that quite a bit. There's uh, when I go out bike riding in the Bay Area here and get out into some of the farm country. There's a lot of signs. Uh, protesting what they call uh, industrial solar plants um, mm. installed in the farms, and um, you know maybe some of it is is being you know orchestrated by the gas lobby, probably you know a lot mm -hmm. of. It. But I think that there's a sense of kind of being taken advantage of. Um, right. That's the electricity is being sent back to San Francisco, but the solar panels get put, you know, covering the the, the valleys and the fields there, and and you know, sometimes I want to ask the question of like, why aren't we putting these solar panels on, you know, a, the parking lot of a mall? Or, exactly. You know, like there's a lot of yeah. real estate closer to where the energy is going to use. We don't necessarily need to to try to go find farmland and, and put solar panels all over totally. it. I think big questions like this are uh, really inspire creative solutions, right? So how can we be more creative about about, I don't know, I just, it, I see it less of a problem and more of a like creative design, you know, premise, right? Like what can we do better here? Um, anyway, what's on your docket for things you've you've heard or read about in the news? I was really excited to see that, that the state of Minnesota has, has joined the ranks of 
the commitment to 100% carbon-free energy. Uh, this is, uh, they passed a law this week, <laughs> right? Uh, by, by 2040, which is, um, you know, maybe less ambitious than we would want. Um, you know, we could, I, I bet if they really tried, we could get there sooner than that. Um, but nonetheless, it's, you know, better than doing nothing. And uh, it also kind of reflects, I think, an interesting strategy for them. You know, they're requiring their utilities to source 100% carbon-free energy by 2040. But where are you going to get that? You know, maybe wind, um, you know, wind farms in the upper Midwest, upper, you know, Midwest um, Great Plains seem to be quite, um, uh, you know, an important source of, of renewable energy. But uh, is it going to involve solar? Is it going to involve geothermal? Like, what, are, what is the mix going to be? And how do you guarantee the availability, that uptime, you know, on a 24-7 basis in a geography that may or may not be totally um, amenable to, to, you know, doesn't have a lot of natural hydro, for example, or the base, you know, are they going to build nuclear plants? Like, these are open questions that uh, it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota handles it, but kudos to them for pushing forward. First step. <laughs> Totally, totally. Uh, well, let's bring, nobody wants to hear us really blathering on about this stuff. They're really tuning in to hear Keith. And by they, I mean his mom. Uh, we, we, we've, we've paid homage to our parents um, uh, uh, on our first few podcasts here. Um, Keith, welcome to the, welcome to the show. Uh, excited to have you. Um, do you think that your mom will listen to this podcast? Yes. All right. Would you like to send her a, a message? You know, something. Hi, mom, or something. You know. Yes. Uh, hi, mom. Uh, I think that uh, this is. You know. Uh, welcome to the world of energy. Was she impactful? On uh, so so Kelly and Steve and I all decided that our parents played a big role in kind of directing us into our current life. Uh, did, did did your mom have that kind of influence on you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that she 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 let me, you know, she was good at letting me figure out what I wanted to do and work on things that I wanted to to, to you know give me space to do that kind of stuff. And so, um, more like it got me into computer science. So, mm. uh, which is where you know uh, I, I had access to computers and things like that, and time to work on them. And she encouraged me to work on those sorts of things. And so, uh, I think that that. More that yeah. that that more than energy, but yeah, yeah. So she wasn't teaching about the finer points of grid optimization, but she said, "Keith, here's a TRS eighty. Uh, go figure out how to accommodate sixty two. Apple, Apple two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go figure out how to make it. You know, do do things, and and that inspired you. Now, do you have kids? You you have kids, Keith. I I don't. I need yes. to ask them in the form of the question. I know this. Um, remind me how old they are." They are two and four. Do you give them, do you let them play on the computer? Mm. They are too young to, to play on the computer, but yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> what do they think happens with the computer? They enjoy watching. Like, I, I actually, uh, my son Oscar actually coded with him the other day. I uh, was trying out a new programming language, and we, like, turned the screen different colors. And he would wow. tell me what color to turn the screen. Starting them early. You got to not early enough. Yeah, but yeah. Not early. Not early enough. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Gotta, yeah. No, I, I, I like. Um, I like Cody, so I think he's gonna. He want, he's interested in it because I. 
he actually, um, he when he was really young, he would he has his keyboard that he thinks is a computer. And so I'm like, why don't you go work on your computer? That's his keyboard. And now, yep. my, now it's my two-year-old's keyboard. So he has a different <laughs> keyboard. Those of us who have uh, worked worked from home with little kids around have have you know we got the the old cell phone that no longer works. It's like okay, this is your phone. You make some phone calls, but I'll make my phone calls, and uh, and that parallel work uh, becomes a very great way to distract them uh, from you know actually you know, letting you get get work done. Now, um, prior to helping me start. Watt Carbon, uh, you spent a long time in the, you know, so you were, like me, were a political science major and undergraduate. Uh, neither of us are very close to that anymore. Um, but you immediately left um, that after graduating and, and pretty short after got into computer programming, right? Like, so what was it like to get in, to take those first few steps into a career that involved trying to, you know, build software? Yeah, so you... You didn't mention that our school is super in the news. Maybe we should talk about <laughs> that. But, but uh, no, New College is, 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 is where we went. And so, no, I was getting my PhD also. And, uh, and I, the part I liked the most about it was there was part of it when I was doing game theory. And there was computer programming in the game theory. And so I really, really liked that part of it. And then I would sort of work for professors. They would want me to like build a website for them to put up, you know, to like run an experiment with. This is this is early days. Uh, and uh, so I liked that part. But the political science part, I did not like the writing papers and stuff. I did not like so much. And so I was like, you know, what? I wonder if I could get a job. And this was like 1999. And so in an hour, in an hour. I had uh, my first job offer, and then, like, by the end of the week, I, or, you know, we interview, and by the end of the week, I had, I had a job, and I was like, you know, it, it shockingly paid more than being a grad graduate student, right? Like, so it's right. like, you know, like, anyway, so I started, uh, yeah, so that, so then I, I moved into that and just started working as a, as a computer engineer. So did, and, are you self? Do you describe yourself as self-taught then? Took so I, I yes I mostly describe myself as self-taught but I did take some early classes uh, back mm -hmm. like database design and things like that that's what they were uh, this was basically the beginning like they were teaching HTML this is like the beginning of that and uh, and so I was taking courses uh, um, uh, so but yes mostly self-taught when we were in college uh, we got the the internet the NCSA Mosaic browser which was, you know, like this watershed moment where all of a sudden, you know, it, like you could get graphic, a graphical interface that, you know, not like it was really slow and there wasn't really anything interesting, but it was sort of this like, wow, you know, this whole new world uh, is opening up and, and we don't know what to make of it. It kind of feels in a way like, uh, you know, some of the AI stuff that's happening now is like, you just rethink your relationship with technology, like in a fundamental way. Uh, it it kind of like is terrifying. I feel like my parents must have felt in 1994 or whatever when the internet came. Like, oh God, what is this going to do? <laughs> you know, to like, our, he's never going to read an encyclopedia. Like, this is horrible. 
and you know and, and i and i feel like um the same way with like the chat gpt and stuff like this as a as a technologist how do you come to terms with this like vis-a-vis -vis your own kids <laughs> um, I like it. I really, I have no fear of all that stuff at all. That to me is just new challenges, new fun things. You know, you, one of the, so you, you, you know, one of the things I think about that's interesting in technology is like for us, the technology, like there's always like, I used to hear stories about, oh, I didn't have a TV growing up or something like that. And for us, we did not have email at the beginning of our college. And we did by the end. And so I, I got was lucky to spend a semester overseas and I, I had to handwrite everything, which is crazy now to think about that. And then, I'm, you know, like, so so that's our thing for that. And so uh, um, I think that uh, I wonder what's the one that they're going to think about now. Right. And so, um, you know, my wife's a professor, so she's on the front lines of like chat GPT. They're freaking out a little bit about like our kids going to be able to write and you know, sort of learning. like, yeah, if a, if a, and, and I'd also say we use it. Like one of our, Steve uses, he, it is how he starts um, uh, coding stuff. So it's a tool. Like if you're good, it's a tool. We can stay, we can stay ahead of the AI, I think. But um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm always excited for all that new stuff. There, um, maybe this is a question for both of you. There's, there seems to be something about political science as a funnel for really smart people in this space. And I think talking to both of you, you just kind of explain it as this disconnect, like you jump ship. I'm like curious about, there's gotta be more to what attracts a human of this, of you guys are on a similar, similar wavelength, I would say. And what about political science was the first step towards this world for you. Yeah, it pulls, what it does is it pulls me, it, pull, it, it, it pulled me like into a energy space, right? So like the question of like, why am I like, like, like uh, the pro it makes me care about the problem space, like mm -hmm. the types of problems I want to solve. And so I want to solve problems that have, you know, my, 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 my joke is that like lots of things might kill us, but it'll probably be global warming. Um, and so like, you know, I'm working, I get to work on that. Right. And so I think that that is a political science background. And so I think that uh, uh, I there's a big picture of thinking about how all these systems interact and like why why we're building these systems that I think is really been useful for, you know, thinking. about. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's not so much that political science leads you into this. It's like you be, you go into political science because you're interested in like problem solving and and you know how to how does society like deal with broad collective action problems and then and then you realize that political science is sort of a dead end for for that interest and then you go oh maybe there's something else in the world that because there aren't at least there there probably are now but back in the day there weren't degrees in this sort of thing right you you, you had a pretty like we had a pretty despite going to an unconventional school. We had fairly traditional degree paths uh, within that, and curriculum and bodies of literature, right? And and so like, um, you go well, this is, doesn't really fit, but it's like the closest thing that I can find to the thing that I'm interested in. And then, um, but then you know, post that, and you go well, 
maybe there's something actually tangible in the world that I can work on that's you know not necessarily political science, but solving that same underlying problem. Yeah, so like, and I'd also say that there's a math element to it too. So like I was going, you know, I was doing you know uh, mathematical solutions, statistics, and things like that, as opposed to like why political science and not you know some of the other humanities or things like that might might not be as a direct route. Like you you do generate a bunch of skills that you transfer, and so mm -hmm. um, you can transfer find good opportunities. Yeah, that resonates with, especially with the uh, having an architecture background, you go in with the, I'm going to change the world and through great design. And I'm really interested in people in this complex problem solving, which is reality for some people, but others, it's not so much, but those skills stay with you and then morph and grow into other things. Um, yeah, interesting. Keith, you, you have a... Uh... Aside, well, you used to. I don't, I don't know how how much you you do this anymore, but um, people might not know this about you that you are a stand up comedian. What? It's, that's right. My brain just exploded. I did that for a few <laughs> years during. I did that for a while in grad school. Wow. So, yeah. What was your uh, go to joke? What was my go to joke? I had a joke. I was in Texas, and so I would talk. I had jokes about guns, so I had a joke about uh, hunting, and I think it was something like, uh, um, "It's not that I don't like hunting; it's just that I don't understand why it's fun." You know, part mm -hmm. of it seems fun, like you're on a nature hike and you're like walking through the forest. Oh, look, there's some birds in this tree. Oh, look a deer. You know what would make this moment even better if it were dead? <laughs> and you know what would even make it even better? If somehow I had caused that, I think that was one of my favorite, my favorite ones. So pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Five marks. Thank you. Totally, <laughs> totally slayed in Texas. Yeah, yeah, we did different in different places, but yeah, that was a, it's it's a common thing, people. And and and. Uh, did you ever did you ever get like booed or anything as a as like you know that. I've heard it's, it's ruthless best. in some of these places. It, it is like, yeah, yeah. I have bombed a couple times and it is, and you know, it's, you just, it, it is a wake up call. Like you get, you're telling, it's the same material, you know, I, one of the hardest things about it, like it's the same material and you're like practicing it and you're delivering it exactly the same way, which is really weird. Like all your inflections all sound mm -hmm. like, you know, everyone, everyone knows this now, I think, but it's all staged. It's all scripted. And so, uh, you know, yeah, like when you, when you tell a joke and no one laughs, like, was and it you have to, to put yourself, yeah. Was it hard to practice appearing unpracticed? Like, that seems like a you skill. You <laughs> did. And so I remember talking about it. Like, one of the things that's funny is, like, you'd come up with a joke, and I would tell, like, I remember telling a joke about, like, um, I don't know. I hadn't shaved very much after it was grad school, and I was sort of, sort of like, and someone came over and was like, "Oh, you know, you know, hadn't shaved." I'm like, "Yeah, I think it makes it look like I'm working hard, right?" And then we picked up our next friend, and someone else commented. I said, "Yeah, I think it makes." It, like, I told that joke again, exactly the same way. And then by the fourth time I had told that joke, the first person was like, "Oh my god, like enough!" And I'm like, "Well, it's enough for you, 
but they haven't heard it, right? And so they got like a little glimpse, like people got a glimpse of what that's like. And so like, if you think this joke's boring to you, imagine what it's like to me. And so I think that you see like, that's like a lot of some of the comedians there, right? there's, they change up their material now a lot because otherwise you could run that same joke for all these people. That's why it, reminds me of, it reminds me of pitching investors where you have yeah. you know, the same spiel over and over and over again and you have to make it seem like it's just like fresh and but you definitely don't want to stray from your narrative because if you get off track then it's like it, then it's just it's bad news it's like you gotta yeah. like uh it's tight it has to be a tight script mm-hmm. you have a limited amount of time and you have to keep it to it yes it's all it's all i, I it makes me feel i we uh my wife and i went to see ario speedwagon um, a couple of weeks ago and you know they're in their 70s they've been touring for you know 50 years and and it's the same song like you know like how sick of you know those songs are they like gosh it's um it's unbelievable and they have to somehow like get into it again <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, let's one more time like, let's go boys that's crazy How, now have you also worked on any other uh, startup projects? Like you don't, do you, I understand that you're a big poker player. Um, did that manifest itself? Interested? Did you have a creative outlet for that? Yes, during the pandemic, I built. Uh, I, I couldn't play online poker with my friend, so I built a website called Free Home Poker, uh, so that we could play uh, uh, poker. Uh, and I got that up and running, and we were using it. So. Um, I'm always building stuff like that. Like that's my hobby too. So tinkering, I'm learning so much about me. It's great. Best way to learn stuff is come up with something that you want to use and then build it. And and then, but that built on you. You had done another startup before that um, that you had worked on for a while. Uh, I, I have a, yeah. So I worked with Stock Yo-Yo was one of the ones way way back which was uh, a stock prediction game. And so like I worked at uh, the Motley Fool and they were coming out with the game Caps. And then um, I went, spun off an idea with a friend who worked there, which was Stock Yo-Yo, which is a stock picking game. Um, and uh, then I built the one I really liked, another one which I called Shujitsu, and then renamed to Pareto, which I think is a better name. But it's about, it's, uh, it's about decision making. So I'm really into ranking. And so um, it just takes unordered lists and puts them in order. So uh, uh, like if you think about a Pinterest board, uh, you can turn a Pinterest board, which is an unsorted list, into a sorted list. So instead of like, these are sinks I like, it's these are sinks I like in order. These are restaurants I, I, I like to go to. These are the restaurants I want to go to now. And you can do it with multiple people. So it's kind of hard to make, you know, this is a political science type stuff, right? How do you make decisions, like voting theorem, right? Theories, right? Like, how do you make decisions? Like, uh, 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 how do you coordinate decisions across multiple people to figure out an outcome? Mm. And so it's based, like, you know, people are really bad at making a decision over more than two items at a time, but they're pretty good at making it two times between two things. And so it sort of poses a bunch of decisions, uh, binary decisions aggregates the binary decisions across people in order to rank order things. When you think about all these problems in your brain, are they, or do you think about them visually as concepts or do you think in numbers? 
I'm very curious about this because I think people or words, some people think in different ways. And I think it tells a lot about the way they approach problems. I would say pictures, actually. I think, really? I think of them as I think I think of them as pictures. Yeah. Pictures. Say, Maps, would you say? Yeah, so something like that, like diagrams, flow, gotcha. flow charts, flow charts, diagrams. That's kind of how I how I move it in my head. McGee, what about you, Kelly? <laughs> what do you think? I how do you think? I think. I think you think in um, in uh, in architecture and like you know yeah schematics yep <laughs> that would be uh i've already got like co color palettes chosen in my brain <laughs> how about you mickey oh uh, words <laughs> primarily i i think um, some some numbers you know i've been working on different ways of of thinking about how to calculate the impact of you know putting on renewable energy on the grid and so there it's like numbers but also just kind of like relationships between like weights um between different um yeah and, and how they all fit how they interact with each other right like that's, that's interesting to me is like how how one thing might interact with another and how you how you should be thinking about it so kind of conceptually but certainly not in images mm -hmm. or you know as as you guys have both um noticed i'm not the world's best designer of things. <laughs> um, yeah, you can write a mean blog. But I can put I can bang out 500 words in no time. <laughs> First draft. Uh, Keith, you know, this I when I brought you in into Watt Carbon, you know, you you'd heard me prattle on about this stuff for a while, but you had never kind of gotten a real taste of the industry. Uh, is there anything that you found that's been sort of blown your mind? in the last year and a half since you've been part of this, that you were like, if you had somebody told you this prior, you'd be like, nah, that can't be true. But like, now that you're in it, you're like, oh my God, that's actually true. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's, I think, you know, we're, we're figuring things out. I think that is the thing that is, that is surprising that people don't have answers to all this stuff because it seems like stuff that you should have answers to. And so there's like, people to come in and have come up with good answers. And there's lots of room for people who have really bad answers. Um, and so, you know, I think that's an interesting opportunity. That surprised me. Oh, yeah, people are solving They're thinking about this. But um, it's really not as far along as I business. And there's not a lot of consensus yeah. about, about some of the stuff that I, as, as I would think there would be. And so there's a lot of people who are who are switching careers now into climate mm -hmm. uh you know you've done this uh, i did this a while back um kelly you know to some extent you know even your architecture is you know somewhat removed from you know going into electrification of buildings in montana or what we're doing uh, but it's daunting for people to try to switch careers do you have any advice for people, you know, who may be thinking about joining our company or just, you know, listening to this and thinking about their own career shifts or how to make that transition easier? Uh, not sure. So, I, I mean, I guess it depends, like, 
I think I think the thing that, that makes it easy to move into this field and to think about is the like the meaning behind it, right? I think that that is is you know to think about like what what is it like you really want to be working on and what kind of problems do you really want to solve? And I think especially you know for you know I think that anyone can come up with could, could, can come up with a way to do that, but I think it's really important that um, you know driven and talented people and who like really want to make a difference have opportunities to do that. And so I think that, you know, you're right. This is a, this space is great. It's, it's uh, opening up. There's people with resources are starting to realize that this is a thing like, we, you know, we have a certain amount of energy that we have to apply, decide what problems we want to uh, uh, apply our brain power to. And, um, you know, I remember it used to be hair loss, that was a really important one. But now it's going to be climate change. So uh, I think that hopefully we're going to start getting some of those people uh, who are focusing on some of those other problems are starting to focus on these sort of problems now. One thing I might add to that that I've heard Keith talk a lot about is this comfort with uncertainty. And I think, Keith, you're really good at this, is seeing it's not a problem per se, just an opportunity to think differently. And I think anybody who's open to that shift and not any, I mean, come with, come with some hard skills that, that helps. But, um, one thing that just getting to work with you over the past few months, that I really appreciate is that reframing of, okay, well, what next? Like, if this isn't working, what is, and how can we look at it differently? And it's just a quick, like just a quick shift and the ability to do that quickly seems really important in this line of work where there's a lot of uncertainty. Yes, we don't know what we don't know. The worst uncertainty. Uh, we got we got time for one one last question each. Uh, Kelly, do you want to to take the first last question, or do you want me to take the first last question and leave you with the last last question? I'll take the first last question because I feel like it's kind of related to what we were just talking about. Okay. Um, what's something you wish you'd learned earlier in life? It could be anything, non work related, work related. Uh, I would say, thing that I, um, I, I would say that, that, uh, teamwork, mm. actually, I think that, especially when you're an engineer, is that you really think that you can solve all the problems. They're all, so engineers, one of the problems is it's all logic. It's like logic. It's all like, and, and we, we have this illusion that like, oh, we're always thinking, right. It all feels like easy problems, but, um, it's not just that, right? Is that any sort of complex solution requires people, multiple people in that. And so I think that that's the most important thing to get really good at. And I think that there's, you know, I think there's like evidence about this too. Uh, um, and I've watched it from my personal experience in my career, right? Where like, you know, the people who are best, it, things feel like a competition because there's limited resources, even for jobs and things like that. Try to get job but the people who are i think the most successful really are the ones who are best at cooperating that are good at their skills um because inevitably you're going to come into a situation where you need help and you know being able to uh, ask for help and being able to help other people uh, is going to be the secret to uh, your success and i think that that is really easy to not to just focus on just your skills if i'm 
good enough at software development engineering, I'll be. I'll be. I think you just outlined your first bestseller, Keith. That's what that sounded like. <laughs> it makes sense that you and Steve get along so well because Steve says his favorite kind of board game to play is the cooperative kind. Uh, so uh, it sounds like you guys are cut from the same cloth. I'd ask, I had a similar kind of question in mind, uh, which is what's the one thing that you look for? You're in the, we're in the middle of hiring right now. Um, what's the one thing that you look for above all else and somebody that you might hire to a role that you're trying to fill? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that it's, it, it is people who I want people who have had a head start on that on that thing, because we can teach coding, um, we can teach all this stuff. In fact, not only can we teach it, you know, you want the ability to learn, but like we change our technology all the time. It's one of the cool things about working here is we have an opportunity to be using new technologies, uh, and uh, we're not super invested in any of them. But like, what we need is people who are capable of, um, you know, thinking about that. And working with working with each other, so that it, we're we're really looking for that you know the ability to ask for help and the ability to provide help and, and want to help other people. I love that. That seems like such a, a beautiful note to end on, Keith. We really enjoyed getting to know you a little. Well, we some of us already knew you really well. I got to reveal some secrets uh, to the rest of the world that they were unaware of. So at the next all hands, you're going to be expected to do a little stand up skit. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, there we go. Uh, it would have been better uh, if I had it was better at teamwork for for volleyball, right? That's well, you know, it was <laughs> that was that could have helped. Uh, that was that where I started. Started learning. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's great having you on uh, to the Watt Carbon Podcast. Thank you, Kelly, again for co-hosting this with me. Uh, we'll do this again in two weeks with another member of our team. Pretty soon, we're going to run out of team members, which means we're going to start recruiting um, others to join our podcast. This is a lot of fun, though, so um, we appreciate you guys. All of, all of our dozens of listeners tuning in this week uh, and, and hearing Keith tell his story. Thanks, thanks, Keith. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, you both. Thanks. Thank you.